you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Um, so, like I said, uh, this, this parable is not unfamiliar. When I say the words, uh, the prodigal son... Most of you can identify at least the main components of the story. However, uh, while the prodigal son is certainly a central figure um, in this parable, I wish that we would actually change the headline in our, in our Bible, right? That, that little paragraph ba- break that tells you sort of the content of what's coming next. I wish we would change it uh, to something maybe more like this, uh, a tale of two sons. A tale of two sons. Because that's really what it is. What we have before us this morning are are two sons. We have one prodigal, right? So one who's reckless, who's wasteful, who's selfish. And then we have one who, by all outward appearances, is faithful. He's obedient. He's submissive. He's he's upright in his living. And so let's, again, let's just go back to the text and let the text show for us what these sons are like. And so we'll start with the prodigal in verse 11. This is what it says to us. Jesus tells us that there was a man who had two sons and that the younger of them, so the younger son, says to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And so the first son that we get introduced to is the younger son of this father. And the younger son of this father essentially comes to his father, and he says to him, give me my inheritance early. Which, it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot of connecting the dots to understand what the son is really saying, which is, I would like to live as if you were dead. And that's essentially what he's coming and saying to dad, right? And all of us have been in fights with our parents at some point, but I don't, and maybe some of us have, um, I was just never bold enough to say it, but right, no, like turned around, yelled at our father, I wish you were dead. And by the way, give me everything you owe me. And like, again, I don't know about you guys, but just as a father now, I'm thinking, no, like I'm not going to do that, right? Um, And of course, there's some fiction to this story. It's a parable. And so Jesus um, tells us that the father says, okay. He gives him his inheritance. He gives his son permission to live as if he were dead. And the son takes it, he gathers it all up, he goes to create or start this new life, whatever it is that he has in his mind, and we come to find out that in all of that, he lives his life recklessly. He spends it on basically anything selfish that you could imagine, reckless living. And of course, it ultimately leads to this son's downfall. He goes from enjoying all of the inheritance of his father to a job essentially feeding someone's pigs. 
and feeding someone's pigs in the hopes that like maybe he would get some scraps. That's the prodigal. Now the second son is is the faithful one, right? We get introduced to him much later in the story. We get introduced to him in verse 25, and this is what it tells us about the older son. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So we get introduced to this faithful son who who has done nothing but abide in his father's house. He's done what his father has asked him to do. In fact, the way I picture this, and again, this is just me adding more detail. Obviously, it's not in in these words here, but I picture him. He's, he's been out in the fields. He's been working all day. He's sweaty, right? He's tired. He's ready for that, that, that last bit of dinner, that last meal before he wakes up to go do it all again, right? To take care of his father's household, to work alongside his father. And as he's coming in, right, from a distance, he hears music and dancing. He's like, whoa, what's going on? This is clearly a big deal. And when he asks one of his father's servants, hey, what, like, what's going on? They say, oh, well, your brother's back. And we killed our most prized possession, and the, your, your father has clothed him in his clothing, and he's super excited that your son is back. And so, of course, the faithful son responds with, I think many of us would look at it and go, his anger is justified, Right? And so again, I think at first glance, when we look at this story, um, it's, it's fairly straightforward. We have a good son and a bad son. We have light and we have dark. We have an antagonist and we have a protagonist. A son to root against and a son to root for, right? But if we look a little bit closer, we'll see something a little different. The reality is that when we look at these two sons, they have wildly different behaviors, right? Right? have wildly different behaviors. But I think what we come to understand is that within both of them, there's a similar root. Let me explain how. Let's look at the, let's look at the prodigal first. The prodigal goes away. He does something inescapably bad, right? I mean, this is, this is terrible. You, for, for you to treat your father this way, right? Again, like... Bible's very clear. Commandment number four, right? Honor the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother so that it may go well with you. He obviously completely steps out from underneath that. Tells his father he wishes he was dead and wants all of, all of his money right here, right now. Goes, squanders it. But then when it comes time to come back to his father, what does he say to himself? He says something interesting. 
He says in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so this prodigal son, again, he comes to his realization, right? And who, who knows how, how long a span of time that is, if it's a year, if it's 10 years, it doesn't really matter. But at some point, right, the son comes to this realization, what I've done is wrong, how am I going to make it right? And he says, well, I clearly can't make it right as a son, so I'll do my best to make it right as a servant, Right? I'll go to my father, I'll tell him, look, you don't have to take me as a son. It's okay. I understand. I know. I realize what I've done. Just take me as a servant. So what we come, what we come to realize is that the, the younger son feels as though, in this moment, as though he needs to earn the love of his father. He needs to earn it back. He needs to deserve it. He needs to, right? And he realizes that ultimately he probably can't. So he'll take servant. And what that is, is a works-based righteousness. I haven't done well, so I can't be this. I haven't done well, so I can't be my father's son. what about the faithful son? Well, again, wildly different behavior, right? He spent his life doing nothing but what the father asked, doing nothing but what the father wanted, right? The father is entirely pleased with him. And when it comes time to welcome his wayward brother back, he doesn't look back at his life and think, I've enjoyed the presence of the Father. Our relationship has been good. I've gone through all of these things. I've, I've dwelled in the safety of His company. I've enjoyed His provision. I've, like, all of these things, right? He doesn't, he doesn't go to those things. He goes immediately to what He's done, right? I've done nothing but what you asked of me. I've done nothing but obey you. I've done nothing but be faithful to you. Don't you see how hard what? I've worked for your favor. Don't you see how hard I've worked to maintain your favor? And so what we come to realize is that at the root of both of these guys' hearts, both of these sons' hearts, is a belief that righteousness is accomplished. That righteousness is something we do. That righteousness is something that we can find confidence in. Right? The prodigal son obviously experiencing no confidence. I can't be my father's son because I don't have the works to back it up. And the faithful son saying, I am the father's son. Not because he's loved me and provided for me and kept me in his house, but because I've worked to maintain my favor with him because of everything that, that I've done. And so at the bottom of both of these guys' hearts is an understanding of righteousness that is based on works. And so here's what we come to find out. The story is not as simple as, as it may at first seem, right? Where all of us are kind of going, yeah, like the faithful son is right. He never did anything wrong. And, and what's the deal with this, 
with this guy that just wasted everything and now he comes back in and we're going we're gonna to throw this big party and celebrate? I mean, I'll put that dude to work, man. I think all of us have that sense of justice in us that kind of starts to elevate, right? We start to get a little uncomfortable with that reality, especially if we place ourselves in the shoes of the older son. But here's what's ironic. All of us in our sense of justice want to root for the older son, but all of us knowing our own failures are grateful for the story of the prodigal son. And so we live, we live like in this, in this tension between the two, and it's almost like I don't, like, I don't know where to sit in, in this. And yet... And yet Jesus, in, in teaching this story, is not, is not ultimately trying to get us to, to one son or the other, although he is telling us some significant things about, about both of them. He's trying to help us see that the protagonist, the one that we root for, the one that we look to in, in this story, ultimately, is the Father. Why? Let's read verses 17 through 24 again. When he came to himself, the younger son, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So listen, the younger son is entirely self-absorbed. What, right? What can I do? How can I get myself back in the Father's good graces? And, and listen, I think his instinct is not entirely wrong, right? Because I think putting myself in the Father's position, I would feel as though I had every right to keep that young son at an arm's length. Every right to be skeptical or cynical about his confession to me, every right to demand justice or repayment. What did you do with my money? Father has every right to withhold trust. But what does he do? The Bible tells us that he feels compassion. And listen, the compassion that he feels is not like after something has been said or something has been done or like the, the, the prodigal has kind of worked his way into his father. Like, no, he... All he does is see him in the distance, and it tells us that he feels compassion towards him. Like that that was the father's impulse. Like that that was his nature, that in that moment, his first reaction 
didn't need to be overcome by compassion, but just was compassion from the get-go. That's foreign to us, isn't it? But look, this father is not just compassionate to the young son. He's compassionate toward the elder son as well, right? Read verses 25 through 28, and this is what it says. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your father, I'm sorry, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. It's not one son, it's the other, right? Father, again, like in this moment, has every right to keep the elder son waiting, right? You don't want a party? You want to throw your own pity party outside? Cool, I'll see you when this one's over and we'll talk, okay? Like he has every right to be annoyed. He's just ha- he's trying to have a good time celebrating his long lost son's return. But what does he do? He leaves the party. And he goes outside of the doors. And again, not to yell at the older son, right? Not to be like, you need to get your you know what in there. You're making me look bad. We'll discuss this later. You can tell I've been a parent for a little while. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. He goes out there to entreat, which is, maybe it's a word we're not familiar with, but it's to eagerly invite, to draw in, to say, come on, come in, look. I want you with us. I want you to be a part of this celebration. I want you to taste the fatted calf that we've been fattening for a while and that we've now made available. I want you to drink the wine. I want you to celebrate and laugh. I want you here, son. Again, the father's impulse is compassion and concern for the older son as well. So what does this all mean? Well, again, we're, we're in a season of repentance, Lent, right? And although Martin Luther would say the entire Christian life is to be one of repentance, what does this story tell us about repentance? What does it call us to repent from? Well, let's start with that latter question. What does this story calling us to repent from? What is it that Jesus would have us turn away from and walk toward Him instead? Well, again, this story is clearly calling us to repent from works-based righteousness. And here's what's tricky about works-based righteousness. The symptoms that this disease can present can seem paradoxical, right? The brothers display wildly different behaviors and live wildly different lives, but when it comes down to it, they're both trying to rely on what they've done. And so the younger son thinks he has to work off his sin as a servant, and the older brother thinks he's earned his father's favor by the absence of sin in him. One self-righteous, one ashamed, one painfully aware of his sin, one fully convinced of his sinlessness. And both of those are a problem.
Now again, let's be clear. This text, and last week's for that matter, are explicitly calling for repentance from prideful self-righteousness. So again, if there's, if there's one main focus in this, it is on the older son. He's talking to Pharisees. That's who Jesus is teaching right now. Those who knew all the rules, those who kept all the rules, and those who were deeply uncomfortable with the fact that they as rule keepers would have to share company with the tax collectors and sinners who also shared company with Jesus. But there's something else I want us to pick up on. This text doesn't only call us to repent. It tells us something about repentance itself. Namely, it tells us about the nature and character of the one to whom we repent. The one to whom we turn and walk towards. And so listen, it doesn't matter who you are in the room this morning. There's good news for you in this story. Let me explain. Maybe you walked into the room this morning, the younger son, right? You've been living a completely self-absorbed life. Everyone else around you might as well be dead. They are there to the end that they serve your pleasure, and the moment that they don't, you cast them aside. You've given being your own God your very best shot. And it's not working. Things you thought could control now control you. Your recklessness is caught up with you and you are filled with shame. You literally can't come up with one good reason why, if there is a God, He would ever come within a solar system of you. If God is a father, He's the father that's mad and He's just disappointed. Because you think of God this way, it only pushes you further away. Why? Well, I mean, I've got enough shame within myself. I don't need some outside source of shame to pile more on top of me. Thank you very much. But listen carefully. What if I told you, before you could even say a word, if the Father simply saw you coming towards Him, His deep well of compassion for you would burst a hundred feet in the air, just like old faithful, as He ran toward you? What if I told you, before you could even finish saying you're sorry, the Father would have already given you His robe, placed a ring on your finger, and shoes on your feet? What if I told you that the welcome of the Father in this story is the welcome of the Father that is available to you right now? You see, the younger son was made desperate enough by his situation to risk the wrath of the father, what he thought was coming, right? Like things are just so bad, like I, this, might, this might not go great, but it can't be worse than, than what I'm experiencing right now. He wasn't sure what to expect, right? But either, either way, it's better than sharing food with pigs, But here's what's wild. 
for you this morning, if you're the younger son, you don't have to guess what the father's response is going to be. You don't have to guess. Jesus already told you. Jesus told you that the very nature of the father is to feel compassion for you. And the reason that is, is because all of your shame and all of your brokenness and all that stuff that you're afraid to bring forward, that you're afraid to acknowledge in front of him, every single bit of that was placed upon the perfect son, Jesus, and dealt with at the cross. And so there's literally no other option for the father but to feel compassion for you when you come to him. Right? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and He is just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Listen, there's nothing to be afraid of in coming to this kind of Father. All you need to do is turn around, face Him, And he'll run out to you. And your conversation will not be about what you did or about what you didn't do, but just about how glad he is that you're home. Just how excited he is to have you back in his house. But here's the flip side of the coin. Maybe you walked in this morning, the elder son. You've been living a life by the book. Like, sure, you've had your moments, but like compared to most, you're as straight-laced as they come. By every objective standard, you've done the right thing, quote-unquote. And so what you do on a day-to-day basis is kind of walk around constantly measuring yourself against other people, right? When other people around you experience hurt or difficulty, well, it's because they didn't live right like you. Or when you experience hurt or difficulty, it's unfair because you've lived better than most people who aren't experiencing that. And so you're always doing that maddening math equation in your head of like, well, if this person did this, this, and this, and I did this, this, and this, then then technically... And so the father is always at an arm's distance for you, not because of your shame, but because you're busy. You're too busy trying to perform for him. He's like, I just want to hang out. And you're like, look what I can do. And you can be so committed to doing this math in your head that even though you've been invited to the same party, to eat the same food, to share the same wine, to celebrate the same celebration, you can't because someone less deserving is there too. For you, there's warning in this text. Your invitation is the same. Your invitation is the same. The good news is the Father wants you in the party. Even though you're outside throwing your pity party, counting up all the good things you think you've done and why you've earned His love and all this stuff, and He's just kind of going, yeah, that stuff really doesn't matter. But you, like the invitation is the same. Please come in. But He's saying, listen... You're less disposed to accept my invitation because you're too busy counting up the reasons you should be invited against 
the reasons that other people shouldn't. And so listen, as we close, I just want to talk to, I want to talk to older brothers for a minute. And, and the reason I want to talk to older brothers for a minute is because I think generally that's who's in the room this morning. If it's hard for you to extend grace because you feel like you've earned God's favor, then we need to look to the true older brother. This is what Hebrews 2 says, starting in verse 10. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their, our, salvation perfect through his suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our older brother. But Jesus as our older brother is markedly different from the older brother in this parable that Jesus tells to us, is he not? Jesus is our older brother, and the difference between (laughs) Jesus, our older brother, and the older brother in the story is that Jesus not only deserves the favor of God, but has experienced God's favor from eternity past, right? He pre-exists. He's before all things, is what Colossians 1 tells us. He was there with the Father, right? Or John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? The Word became flesh, then dwelt among us, right? So Jesus has been in the Father's household for all of eternity. We younger brothers, reckless, outside, outside the household of God. And what the Bible tells us is that now... Not only, were we, not only were we not sort of a part of that family unit in the beginning, and not only have we only done things to not ever deserve to be invited in, the Bible tells us that now we've been adopted. And that we're adopted into his family, right? So now we're sons and daughters, and that makes us brothers and sisters with Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Right? Like if this elder brother here that Jesus is telling about us has a, has a quote-unquote beef. Can you imagine the right that Jesus has to just be utterly speechless that God the Father would allow you and I to partake of His inheritance, to join His celebration, to be a part of His family, to be a part of His house? right? Again, Jesus, I've ne- I've, God, I've never done anything but please you, right? You said it yourself in front of witnesses, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you're going to let Marshall in here? Fill in the blank, right? Anyone, anyone else, right? You're going to let that person in here? Jesus has every right to that. And yet, here's what's crazy. 
Jesus, our older brother. Not only does he not say that, right? He doesn't go, gosh, I can't believe you could let Marshall in here. This is really kind of embarrassing. Like Our standards have really dipped, Dad. Like Not only does he not do that, and not only does he, in fact, join in the celebration, right? Not only does he celebrate when someone like me gets to enter in, not only does he invite us in, not only, does he, not only is he unashamed to call me brother, Hebrews 2 tells us, but he's actually the one that made it possible. Like he put all of his perfection on the line and he said, you know what? Hey, brother, you take my perfection, I'll take your sinfulness because I can, I can afford it. I didn't squander my inheritance. So listen, let me take that, let me pay that, and then guess what? We'll all have a party. Jesus sacrifices himself precisely so the Father can welcome us without wrath or shame. In all of this, Jesus isn't ashamed of us as brothers and sisters, but he celebrates with the Father and with us. And so listen, the good news this morning is that if we find ourselves as older brothers tempted, tempted to engage in that insane math in our heads, the good news is that we can look to Jesus for what a real older brother looks like, who does not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather makes himself nothing. Being made into the form of a man, he became obedient even to death on a cross. good news this morning is that Jesus paid for your reckless sinfulness and for your teetotaling self-righteousness. They are both equally in need of grace, although one is more disposed to receive it. And so if you're the younger brother, come and receive grace this morning. Come celebrate at his table. Come break bread with him and drink wine or juice. Older brother, See your teetotaling for the reckless sinfulness that it really is. And again, come receive grace. Come share his table. Come celebrate with him as he celebrates. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the good news of the gospel. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who by his blood and through his broken body, made admittance for sinners into his family, into your family. And Lord, that we are adopted as sons and daughters and therefore brothers and sisters of Jesus himself, who he now splits his inheritance with. And we, Lord, we thank you that in all of that, he does not feel cheated, in any way, but rather he celebrates when we come. And so, Father, as we come to your table this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to repent of whatever is in us this morning. If it is sinful and reckless living, Lord, would we acknowledge it for what it is? Would we see its ends, which are destruction? 
And would we come and receive grace? And Lord, if there is self-righteousness up to our eyeballs within us, Lord, would you chip away at the facade we've been for so long trying to find comfort in and acknowledge that we don't have it. But that in Jesus, every ounce of righteousness we could ever want or need or hope for, we have already been given. And so, regardless which one of those sons we are this morning, you look at us and in Jesus say, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in him or her, I am well pleased. Thank you for Jesus and that because of him we can say that this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen.